an AppleViz original. Hello and welcome to AppleViz Extra. My name is Tom Astava, also known as Anonymous. Today we have something very different. Typically, we always bring in a developer of an app that we can pretty associate with to talk about and see how the history of it and how things work. This is going to be a little different. It's got a little bit of a twist. And once you hear the entire podcast entirely, it'll make more sense. I mean, it took me some time to get my head wrapped around and what our interviewer is going to talk about. And that is Chris. And Chris, is it Chris Kolbu? Kolbu, yeah. Kolbu. Um, I'm Norwegian. <laughs> oh, well, all right. And Chris is coming from Australia. I've been here for about 10 years now. Oh, have you? Um, yeah. Well, that's interesting. That's so cool. And I'm pretty excited to have you on, Chris. So I appreciate you taking the time um, out of your day to do this interview with me. Not at all. It's great to be on. Hey, so I, as always, my listeners all, always know what I do here. And I always do this first out of the way before we get to know you and what you do and things like that. And that is the name of your company. And that is Itty Bitty. I love when you get creative names like that for a company's name for Itty Bitty. So tell me, how did you come up with the name of Itty Bitty? What's the meaning behind that? Well, Itty Bitty Apps is a consultancy uh, an app development consultancy based in Melbourne uh, that has been in business now for 12 years. I am not the founder. I I, I merely work there. Um, but I could, I can, I think, from memory, tell you the origin of the name, and that is um, has to do with the early days of app development, where um, apps were considered to be small uh, in comparison with large enterprise software offerings. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I was thinking, hmm, I know Australia is notoriously known for spiders, so I thought maybe it had something to do with itty-bitty spiders because <laughs> you guys, I don't know how, I'm sure everybody will say, I don't know how you live there, but you know, I know that's going to go off a little bit off track, but there's a story that I read every year, and it's just like, oh my gosh, why does anybody live in Australia, is that you have this outbreak of spiders every so often in this season. And I'm talking about millions of flying spiders that are on parachutes and that <laughs> infest cities and stuff like that. You probably don't have to worry about that in your city. No, thankfully. That's uh, that's one of the first <laughs> times I've... Wow, that sounds terrible. Isn't that uh, terrible? Almost almost biblical. Right. Uh, we, have, we have seen um, uh, venomous spiders around, um, but they're mm. few and far between in uh, in more populated areas well that's good to know okay well I, I i just had to put that out there but all right chris so you're a consultant so tell us a little bit more about you as in what you do for itty bitty as in terms of consultant are you do you guys develop your own app do you help other companies what what is that you do uh the main um i guess um thrust of the business is to provide consulting services. Um, but we also have a product that we develop in-house called Reveal, and that's where I work. Reveal is a developer productivity tool. It started out almost 10 years ago this year um, to help developers debug the visual hierarchies of their apps. And at the time, 
uh, when we first built Reveal, it was to basically scratch our own itch because Xcode didn't offer any way to have a look at what was going on with your view hierarchy at runtime. A couple of years later, they added uh, their own view debugger, and we've been basically offering a, a better version of it uh, since. But uh, last year, we added an entirely new set of features for Reveal. Uh, we called it the Accessibility Workspace, and it basically lets you have an at-a-glance overview of what your screen will present as in, in VoiceOver and voice control, and also lets you do uh, live contrast checking. So essentially, for those that are listening that are non-technical people out there like myself, really this reveal software is a new software that you guys design that works on top of what Apple puts out there for Xcode that does so just kind of like um, nifty little tools that's one step higher in terms of debugging, meaning that you can take a look at a set of code and whatever you define for accessibility, for example, is that you're going to help developers realize it's going to point out to them, hey, these things that you want to know in terms of, is my app accessible? It's going to make pointers. And not only does it make pointers, it's also going to point out how you can improve on your app without a lot of knowledge about accessibility to make this work. Is that pretty much in a nutshell? Uh, yes. The accessibility workspace that we have currently uh, will show you everything. But with the new Insights workspace that we will be launching in the next couple of months, we'll also be providing um, a set of 110-ish rules that uh, encompass both um, the encodable bits of the web content accessibility guidelines as they pertain to mobile and Apple's, uh, Apple's human interface guidelines. How sweet in is that? In addition to that, we also have um, various things uh, that we ourselves, mistakes that we ourselves make all the time that we've basically um, added just purely so that, you know, it, it's like a soft tap on the shoulder to go like, you should be doing this. I love this idea. What a beautiful idea. I mean, is there anything like this out there now in what you guys produce? Um well, Apple's Accessibility Inspector, which is a tool that is offered as part of Xcode, a, a cross-platform tool that lets you um, basically traverse the accessibility layer of um, of your app running in the simulator on device or, uh, or on the computer itself, has an audit feature, which uh, has a very limited um, just set of things that it presents you with, uh, with really very little in the, in the way of context. What we're doing is, first of all, offering much more in the way of, of, of detail, but we're also focusing on, I guess, more of the qualitative aspects of it. Like we, we're less concerned about false positives uh, and, and merely passing, you know, whatever um, guideline you want to focus on, but in, in trying to give you more of, a, um, more of a way of directing your attention as a developer. So while, you know, one or two things may be wrong that we can point to, they may not be able to glean the overarching reason why this is happening, right? But we leave that to the developer, but we direct the attention and hopefully facilitate through uh, the remediation advice we offer ways that they can improve the accessibility. 
So really you're taking something that is possibly very vague for a developer to understand how this accessibility API works for uh, into their code. And these are people or developers that have interest of making an app more accessible. And so this is kind of a stepping stone in a progress that helps a developer to make things more accessible, correct? Yes, that's the hope. Uh, okay. Often the, the 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 things you can do aren't uh, technically difficult to implement. And this is increasingly the case with Swift UI, which is Apple's new way of writing user interfaces. Um, but they it can be hard to know where to start and, and what good looks like. It's um, part of the reason I think that there are so many cases where accessibility could be so much better than it is has to do with the fact that it's very difficult for developers um, to A, get the time explicitly to do accessibility work and and B, to have a, gain a solid understanding, like the awareness and a solid understanding of what to aim for and what constitutes a good experience. Right, I mean, I am curious when you are not using the reveal software, let's just say a developer just choose not to use it and they want to go with the direction of making things accessible. Does Apple do a okay job, poor job, or what on a sense of level do you feel that Apple is helping people or developers to understand the accessibility and how to do it? I mean, that's the big thing. Sure, they give you all the documentation, but how do you do it? Um, well, the workflow that you normally use is, um, you have two choices, basically you run the app on device and you enable each of the uh, assistive technologies that you want to test on. And then you basically manually go through the screen or the, the user flow that you're testing. There's also accessibility inspector that I mentioned earlier. And because it connects directly to the accessibility layer, you have to traverse through each element now by using a button in the user interface of Accessibility Inspector rather than the gestures that you would. So it takes a very long time to do it, even in Accessibility Inspector. And um, because it supports macOS and iOS simultaneously, the um, I guess the, the data that you get is an abstraction that kind of covers both platforms. So it's not a particularly good mapping to what you would see on iOS. I mean, it's 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 okay, but it's not, I guess, close enough to be very useful. Okay, no, that, I I can I can see that. So, how did you guys get into wanting to make an accessibility tool like this? I mean, what what was the um, what was behind of wanting to do something accessibility and 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 not just create and reveal itself because it sounds like it can do so much more. This is just a a module for say this accessibility part of it and obviously the other portion of reveal will just to help them code better make things more efficient cleaner and point out some pointers but where'd you get the engine idea for making that accessibility tool well the state of tooling for accessibility testing is like we just discussed um quite bad in the sense that it's very time consuming and bad in the sense that um building a, a like a good foundational level of, of what good accessibility looks like is difficult for individual developers. There are lots of 
good projects that want to help people with that. But ultimately, the the documentation and the experience you need is hard to come by, and it's spread all over the internet in a like a fine layer of dust. There's not one good place to find the information that you need to be able to produce great, accessible experiences. So that is, um, we recognize that gap. And in the f- when Reveal was first created, it was to scratch our own itch. And it's the same with the accessibility feature set. We needed it for our own work because um, Itty Bitty Apps is very concerned with accessibility. And we wanted to give people something they could point to when they're making suggestions or improvements to an app, because otherwise they wouldn't have any any kind of um, any kind of backing. But now we can provide you know a a screenshot that shows um, the traversal order and all the frames of the accessibility elements on screen. We can provide just an image showing violations of contrast standards. We can do all these things and kind of give people the ammunition they need to advocate uh, for improvements in their workplace. Boy, you know, just thinking about it. And if it wasn't for reveal, I'm thinking to myself, I'm kind of disappointed because if it's that difficult and you're right, I mean, who, you know, I, I would assume the general population when it comes to developers, when they create their, their apps, um, I would say most are not aware or don't even know how to make things accessible on their app. And in order to gain that knowledge, you would have to spend a lot of time, which means I got to go to these sessions. I got to go to training. I got to read the documentations. And that is not as easy as it sounds. Sure, I can just pick up a book and start reading. But really, it kind of, it takes a lot of time. And is it worth the time to make something accessible in their mind if it's only going to be a small niche market? And I, I, and I'm being honest, I, I really do think that comes to play a lot. And not knowing that these little things can make a life difference for us that use voiceover in terms of accessibility and for those that are with low vision when it comes to high contrast. So is that pretty much how you're seeing out there, the developers out there that you meet and consult with and trying to sell your product for reveal? You know, this is kind of a, not of a shortcut, but to shorten the span and so you can make things more accessible. Is it pretty common out there that developers really don't know where to start and they just they just feel like, I don't want to take the time. It sounds like too much work for a small um, niche of people. Yeah, it's a, that's a good point. Uh, I, I have a pet theory um, or a hypothesis, you could say, and that is that we're in a kind of a, I guess you could call it a a um, a bad cycle of awareness and experience and tooling being in a state where it's very time consuming and hard to do a good job. And businesses don't want to spend time doing accessibility unless they have a vested interest in being good corporate citizens or they have been fined for violating um, accessibility related statutes. But if we can make it easier and raise the level kind of evenly everywhere, we can end up improving accessibility and lowering the threshold for businesses to want to pay for it. Um, A good kind of analog to this is, um, and this is going to get into a little bit uh, of of software engineering, is uh, unit testing. Now, 
the act of writing unit tests is basically when you write code, you write a bit of functionality, something that, you know, in its simplest form does something. And more and more now people are writing unit tests, which are tiny little bits of code that test and assert that the little bit of functionality you wrote does what it's supposed to. And you have this entire suite of tests that sits in a, in a, in a project separate from your app itself, with a bit of software that you run every time you, you write code and it will tell you when something breaks and things breaking on one end of the code base when you do something in the other end is, is quite common. Um, but crucially what happened, um, in the last decade, I would say is that, um, the, we develop processes for running these tests automatically before code gets, um, gets released. So when you as a developer write a feature and you submit it for review, an automatic set of tests can run against your app with your new code in it, and it will tell you when you're doing something wrong. And this created kind of a virtuous cycle where you had a process where you could see with your own eyes the value of writing these tests because they caught all these, all these uh, we call them regressions, that um, you wouldn't have otherwise caught until someone reported them, right? Mm -hmm. So you as a developer see that this has real utility, you start writing the tests, the tooling improves because more people are using it and working on it, the awareness among new developers improves because everyone else around them is doing it, and they can see the tests running in, in what we call the continuous integration environment. So basically, these th three aspects feed into each other, like the process improves, the tooling improves, the awareness improves to the point where it's being done in a majority of businesses. And we want the same to happen for accessibility. So basically, we thought to ourselves, we make developer tooling, we have all this awareness, how can we help kind of operationalize accessibility and make it something that people will learn through, I don't know, osmosis, I guess you could say, uh, from the environment that they're in. We had to actually make it front and center in the environment. And that's what we're trying to do with, uh, with Reveal Insights. It's basically um, making it visible and easier to be good at. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, anything like this can, I think, is going to be valuable for any developer. For one, it's going to help you improve things and catch on things regression or bugs, I would say, <laughs> um, those things could be, that would be pretty cool to have that point out to you and things like that. Um, so let's back up. I'm going to tell people how we met, and that is a story in itself. So it started back, how long has it been? About a month and a half, I think, ago when Chris contacted me. I was on Macedon, and as I always do, when I have a passion for a particular app that I think has potential of something that would be extremely valuable or that could be used for the blind community. And that is a, um, an app called Ice Cubes for Macedon. And I really love the direction that Ice Cube was taking his app. There were just lots of little things, nuggets, and it wasn't like a really bloatware of an app. I thought it was perfect for 
um, those intermediate areas. So for something that a beginner could pick up and like, and then those advanced people would like using it. It's not highly customizable, but the potential is there. But that's what I like about it. It's just straightforward. Anywho, to make this story short, it was not very accessible. And I have kind of just been telling the developer Ice Cube, say, hey, I really love what you're doing with this. Could you make this more accessible for us? And I kept banging on the drum. So I just kept on them, say, hey, thank you so much for taking the time. And there was a rut there for a while. I, I got the impression now I could be totally off base. It seems like they didn't know what to do or how to make it more accessible. Now, I could be totally wrong on that. And Chris contacted me and said, hey, I'm working on making this Ice Cube more accessible. Um, here's a list of things I found. And I looked, and I'll be honest, when I first looked at it, I was like, holy smoke, there's so many listings. And half of them, I couldn't even understand what you're saying. <laughs> um, but in short, the couple versions after that made a dramatic change. And so my question to you is, Chris, is how did this come about in Ice Cubes? How did you get involved with Ice Cubes? How did you um find me and etc uh well um i first came across ice cubes because i was i was kind of evaluating all the mastodon clients uh because i wasn't going to use twitter anymore for uh, reasons we won't go into <laughs> um and i i saw ice cubes and and because it's open source it's immediately uh, attractive to me in that you know i i work on reveal which itself works on ios apps or iPad OS. So I, I just pulled it down and, and started, you know, playing with it. And I could see that it was a it was a actually a really good test bed for the accessibility work we were doing because it is um very complex uh in terms of the interactions that it has. It has a um a use case that and a user flow that is is well understood by lots of people. And it was already doing a lot of things really well. Like it supported dynamic type nearly everywhere. It used color in a good way. It supported landscape mode, which is a big one that very few apps do. So I thought, this is great. But in looking at it through Reveal and through the new Insights workspace, I could see that there were a lot of things that I could um, help with. So I started basically by, by doing low intervention, high impact fixes, basically because it is... Um, they're much faster to do because when you start modifying layout code, it, things become quite um, quite slow because you have to make sure that you're not breaking anything or changing anything. And IceCubes is largely maintained by one person, so he has a tremendous amount of ownership over things. So the things I could do very quickly and just uh, submit uh, what's called a pull request, which is basically here are some supposed uh, proposed changes. Uh, do you approve of them? Uh, the best things I could do there was was basically low intervention, high impact, so no change to UI. But what I could do then is improve the accessible presentation, and primarily then for voiceover and um, and switch control. Hmm. So coincidentally, you were just in the right place at the right time. Well, for us anyway, is that you found Ice Cubes kind of on a, on a whim, and you saw that it was open source, and said, "Hey." I thought I'd just dip my finger in there and help them out with the accessibility. Essentially, yes. Yeah. Okay. So 
with that in mind, and so where in this time frame did you find me? Was it all the posting that I did towards Ice Cubes? Uh, yeah, I was I was searching through Mastodon, and I saw you were referencing a bug that you uh, were experiencing, and I I asked you to confirm my understanding of the bug, and you did. So I knew then that what it was, and then I had to figure out what was causing it. And it was the it was a bug where when you um, double tapped uh, a post in the timeline, it would open the share link sheet instead of going to the post detail. That's right. And it was driving me crazy because that's where it fell in, in a rut. I mean, there was like a month that went by and the people of Ice Cubes knew about it. And then all of a sudden, I get this angel from nowhere, which you came along and asked me to confirm this. And, and I was like, somebody that knows what they're talking about. And I was just thrilled to death and not in any way an ill tent bashing on ice cubes. It just makes me wonder sometimes if you haven't come along, do they have the know-how? Even though I was reporting this to them, I just felt like either they were putting in a back burner or didn't know how to deal with it. So I wasn't sure which of the two was, but it doesn't matter because you came along. And so Chris and I just kind of just went back and forth and I just, I just let loose on Chris. I said, sure. And I just gave him a big old dog pile full of stuff. And, um, Chris was just, he just loved it. And so he just took all that and everything seemed to be going really well. And we just got a few quirks left on it. And I know that you're working on it, but, I wanted our listeners to know essentially what Chris does is that his company, Itty Bitty, or his um, uh, employer is Itty Bitty, and they create a software called Reveal. And this Reveal is can be used by a developer, any developers out there that needs a pointers or how to make their code better. But the point of this podcast is the tool that Reveal has, and that's the accessibility portion of it, that tool module that allows that developer to get a better understanding of how to make things easier. And so I, I'm going to point the big gorilla in the room here. Um, so you, basically we came at the correct time and place because you're essentially reveal is in beta. Is it not? Um, we are, um, yeah, it's, it's the insights workspace okay. is, is in beta. The accessibility okay. workspace is in production and like the app itself is, is 10 years old, but we are working very hard on just polishing off the last bits of work on the Insights workspace. So you guys yeah. make money by selling Reveal to developers and say, hey, this is the reason why you want to purchase this tool is because of this. It makes things easier and makes your work more efficient and it helps you to be a better developer. Uh, yes, essentially. Um, okay. <laughs> developers uh, as, as a... Uh, as a general demographic, are quite fond of, um, I guess, making anything they can more effective. And Reveal does help developers be more effective um, in that it is it is very fast. Like when the Insights Workspace launches, you'll be able to run the full audit on a screen in less than a second. And that includes all the contrast checking as well. That is pretty cool. You know, I, 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 I always hope that people like yourself that are really committed in doing this and um, 
to be successful. And I want to put this out there. I want everybody to hear about this, to spread the word, because we ourselves, like myself, all we can do is contact the developers and cross our fingers. Do you have any tip or advice what we should do and what not to do when we approach a developers and asking if you could please think about accessibility? I guess one thing, um, so the reason the the accessibility of an app is low or confusing um, is probably because the developer is, is more often than not just leaning on the um, the default implementation that you get for free when you write UI code. And I think a lot of the time when feedback comes, it's it's from people who are native users of assistive technology who are very conversant with, with how each of these technologies work. And I think the mistake is made um, quite often, and it it's not anyone's fault really, but the feedback may be presented in a way that is hard for the developer to map onto the the understanding that they have of the code, if that makes sense. Sure. You need For instance, to... okay. Um, the, the the bug that you saw in Ice Cubes was actually pretty complicated. And I won't go into all the details, but it has to do with how Apple's new UI framework tries to glean your intent based on based on the code you write. And um, it was it was relatively tricky to figure out. But I could reproduce it. And when I can reproduce it, I am halfway to fixing it, basically. So mm-hmm. the, the very best thing you can do when you um, contact a developer is say, hey, I, I was trying to do this and I was expecting this to happen, but instead this happened. And maybe also if you are using like um, say voiceover to explain to the developer that this happens with voiceover and and you know if you're in a different rotor that that's a thing too and you know because you can't really expect a lot of developers to be fully conversant in how voiceover works because unfortunately in i mean i don't want to put a number on it but a large amount of developers will test voiceover purely by slowly swiping through the screen to make sure that things are in more or less the right order but they won't interact with custom actions um, or do anything kind of beyond just that baseline of can I traverse the screen? And to be fair, most um, many developers won't really be aware of the presence of custom actions and how much they're relied on. So there's a whole, like, you you both have to kind of adjust um, your levels to meet somewhere where you can communicate productively. And that is, I mean, arguably more on the developers and as a as a failing but it is what it is right and ultimately we want to to communicate well i totally agree and what i might want my listeners to understand is that to hear what chris is saying meaning that it is so easy for a user not just voiceover users but any general users can be a pain in their butt and that meaning is that is how you approach them and your attitude and your tone is that you can't assume they know exactly what you're talking about. You can't assume they understand how voiceover works. There's a lot of lingos that they may not understand. And so you don't want to alienate them or to um, keep nagging them. 
because they may be in a position they truly don't understand. And that's my next question is, does things like, I know I created an, um, an audio of the issues that I had, that way they can hear for themselves. And I don't know if you listen to that, Chris, of uh, the issues. That, and do you find something like that much easier to understand them verbally, communication by email or Macedon or whatever that you prefer to use to contact a developer? Um, I thought the the audio clip where you went through and I could hear voiceover reading it out in the background and I could hear you swiping and I could hear the error sound and it, it made a lot of sense to me. And it also, like what, what can, can happen sometimes is that your use case is unique in some way or another. That means that it's hard for me to reproduce what you're um, experiencing. So having it actually happen and, and hearing what's actually happening lets me build a, a mental model of, of what the code is doing. So I think if you have a voiceover bug, the best way you can uh, present it to a developer is basically by recording yourself going through the motions and then narrating what your expectation is and what's actually happening. Yes. I, you know, I'm thinking, would a screen recording, because that's a built-in feature of your iPhone, your iOS, to create a screen recording so they can see that and hear yeah. iOS at the same time. That's something I like to point out to my users as well. But of course, video can be pretty large size and you get into complications of where am I going to put this to share. And my advice a lot is any of the iCloud and share that drive if you know have the know-how. And that is OneDrive, Dropbox, anything that you Google Drive and share that with the developers. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I've done it a couple times, but I've never heard anything back how valuable and useful that is. And also to my listeners is that, like Chris said, is that show the steps, tell the developers what you're expecting because you can't, it's like I need to talk to them like it's a new student of voiceover because essentially that's the best method. Don't assume they know what to do and you're just flick, 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 and you need to let them know what you're doing um, to help them out because the less information you give a developer, either A, they're going to just ignore you or they don't understand or they just don't want to talk with you. So I'm trying to think of the best effective way to get a hold of a developer and I was going to ask Chris if you feel that's the right approach of uh, what I'm saying here. Um, yeah, I think reaching out. Um, so in the case of apps where uh, they have a support email, that's mm. generally good for smaller apps. Uh, social media I've found has been a really good source, even for larger companies. Like whenever I find a bug in in an app, I, I will contact, so I used to contact the, the, the Twitter account and just kind of give them a little explanation. And then they would forward that to, to whoever, um, and then hopefully it would get fixed. But generally, like it disappears into a void if the company's big enough. For That's open source projects, yeah. uh, for open source projects, I would um, just file an issue in in the public repository. There normally they have issues enabled, which means you can just write up your reproduction steps and add an attachment in the form of a video. Um, most services that host uh, open source repositories will let you just add attachments and. That's a good way of tracking the issue as well, because when um, 
when a, a bit of code that may fix it is submitted, it will get referenced normally. And then you can see it in your issue, if you have updates on, that something happened elsewhere in the, in, in the code base that references that issue that you posted. It's funny that you mentioned Twitter because we the state in Twitter and then that they fired the entire accessibility team. So that's, that's yeah. a whole different day and topic. I'm not even sure sending suggestions or feedback to them would be helpful. But nonetheless, I love your point is that if, if, if they are a large company, try using the feedback and suggestion within the app to send to them. And the open source, I love the idea that you can submit your own um, ticket and you can track it. But unfortunately, Chris, is that a majority of the blind people will be overwhelmed and they wouldn't know how to do the process of doing that. So there will only be a small handful of people, even though to you, it makes sound very simple. Just get an account, find the app, submit a ticket. Um, it's overwhelming anxiety and for a lot of blind users that come along. But my suggestion to all of you, it's okay. It's, it's, a, it's, it's something on a learning curve that you're going to help, not just us, but the developers too. And so I encourage you to take that step. Um, try pick an app that you would like to see and, and see how that works. Um, so with all that, Chris, I am really wowed by a presentation that you did with Tony um, for your itty bitty company that you guys did on describing reveal in terms of accessibility um, tool that you had. And I'm going to put that in the show note. It's about 30 minutes long. I know most of it is going to go over your head and but i encourage you to listen to it because it's really interesting how when they get into the section where they took an ice cubes um code and they ran it through the reveal and you can hear to yourself what it's like and what it sounds like as a developer and that way it'll give you a better idea of what they go through and kind of help them to understand and that was the point of this podcast so i'm really really excited about your reveal software that you and Tony have created and still continue to make it better. I, I, I thank you so much for coming on and to explain this to us. Is there anything else you would like to talk about that we didn't talk about? Um, let me just know, I guess not really. No, uh, I think we've covered, we, we've covered a lot of it and, um, like I could go into deep detail about what exactly, um, the sort of things I fixed, um, but ultimately, uh, like it gets very technical. Well, that's all right. We don't have anything further to cover, but I am very excited about this because it's now a tool that not only can I contact your developers, ask for questions, things like that, but I might also point out and say, hey, have you guys heard of this itty bitty company that makes this reveal. Hey, take a look at that. And I think this may help you if the conversation comes up where they really don't have the understanding or you get a, a feeling that they don't understand. Um, it's the purpose of this podcast. I think this app uh, is only going to help them and us together. And so I really appreciate what you, you and Tony have done for the reveal app. Thank you. I just want to finish by saying that um... Developers want to do a good job. Like we take great satisfaction in our work and anything that can help us be better for everyone 
is is something that I think will be um, welcome to most developers. Cool. Like people, people like doing a good job. Right. And not only that, but, but, you know, they have feelings too, and they truly do want to make a difference. They morally want to make their code accessible to help those people. So um, with that, thank you, Chris. I really appreciate you taking the time for the interview and out of your morning to join us from Australia. So I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day. And I will see you on Macedon, and we will continue this Ice Cubes path. So that's going to do for this interview with Chris from the Itty Bitty, talking about the Reveal app to make things easier, more efficient for developers in making bridging the accessibility gap. I love that word, bridging accessibility gap. Check in the show note. I'll show you the location where you can find the Itty Bitty software website along with the podcast or i said webcast that they just done recently how the reveal works in terms of bridging the accessibility gap all right my name is thomas donville also known as none of us until next time bye-bye AppleVis podcast has been brought to you by the community of AppleVis.com for the latest in resources and tips and tricks to get you the best experience from your Apple device. Visit www.applevis.com.